chapter 2, um, I don't know, maybe you're like me and you can't sing worth a flip. You really want to. Sometimes you think you can. Uh, and so like when Matt, you know, in that last stanza, you know, takes it to the, I've watched too much American Idol, but I think he took it to another pitch or tone or something and, and he hit that note, you know, I feel myself kind of singing that with him, you know, but if you sat next to me, you would go, uh-uh, no. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but sometimes the, the spiritual life seems to be, uh, well, disappointing. In the sense of it seems like, you know, we're always kind of just waiting for the future. We're waiting for that day, that glorious day when the trumpets will sound and, and Christ will come and rescue us from this miserable wretch of a place and take us to a place he's been working on for 2,000 plus years. You ever feel like that? Like, it's not, mm, yeah, I'm just kind of waiting. Sometimes when I take the Lord's Supper, I, I, I get that feeling of a bit of a disappointment. So what I want to do this morning is I want to I draw our attention to God's Word, the standard for truth, the well, the source, the place where we can really understand what God has to say, His revelation, His ideas, His living and breathing Word, His supernatural Word. I want to I draw our attention there, and then I want us to do it. Sound like a plan? Let's study and then let's apply. Let's study and then let's do it right here uh, at these benches. Uh, let's start in Acts chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 42. We, here we find, um, I'll just say it, I'm jealous. Here we find some incredible, some incredible descriptions of the early church. Y'all probably know this already, but in Acts chapter 2, God has poured out, not dribbled, but poured out His Holy Spirit. It had such a major impact on the church. The, current, the church there in, uh, in Jerusalem, that things changed. Here's an example, verse 42. This is what they were like. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to, pray, and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everything, everyone, excuse me, was filled with awe. That's what it looked like. They, they were devoted people. They were devoted to, to studying to the apostles' teaching, to that spirit-filled understanding, unpacking of the Old Testament and the revelation the Spirit brought to these, uh, these few individuals. They devoted themselves. That's what they were about. But not just studying. They weren't like typical Presbyterians. They also liked to fellowship, like typical Baptists. They loved to get together and hang out and, and, and share stuff. But they also had this activity described here in verse 3 of the breaking of bread. There's a couple of clues in Luke's uh, story here that tells us this breaking of bread wasn't just eating bread. It, it had some really cool implications, which we're going to depth uh, mind the depths of that this morning together. And they were also devoted to prayer. They loved to get together and pray together. Well, what was the impact? Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe. That's a, a word that means they're beyond their comprehension, beyond their uh, standard day. Awe means I don't really get it, but it's pretty cool. Uh, there were many wonders. There were many miraculous signs were being done by the apostles. It tells us in verse 44 that all the believers were together. What a great word. They were together. What were they doing together? Well, they... They, uh, they ha had everything in common. 
They didn't see stuff belonging to themselves. It was not mine, it was ours. This is what it looked like. Verse 45, they were selling their possessions and goods, getting rid of it. And the reason why is because they gave to anyone as he had need. Look at their calendar, verse 46. This is their daily calendar. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. How often? You can answer. Every day. They broke bread in their homes. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Verse 47 tells us they were praising God and they were enjoying the favor of all the people. Uh, That's pretty cool. Wasn't what we experience today, you legalistic Christians, you narrow-minded, born-again believers, you spirit-filled know-it-alls, right? The people had favor on them. There was such an attraction. There was such a huge difference in the people of God that the unpeople of God liked them. They found favor for them. Not only that, they're growing. The Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Come on. Come on. Are you not a bit jealous? Really? I mean, what was their life like? Their life was filled with with togetherness. It wasn't this privatized Christian, do it in your closet, and then maybe, maybe just barely share a little bit on a 30-minute period once a week in a sweaty barn. No, (laughs) just kidding. It wasn't. (laughs) I'm starting to sweat already. It it wasn't like that. It It was vivacious. It was alive. People had a mission. They loved each other, and they broke bread together. When you, when, you, when you compare that to what the little, and I'm so glad y'all, hopefully y'all still do this. Uh, yes, okay, good. <laughs> Debbie make that? Oh, hopefully, you know, when you, when you go to some churches, I won't mention any, look out press, I won't mention any churches, but when you, when you go to church and you get the little tiny piece of paper that's supposed to taste like a cracker, right, and there's a pile of them and you take a little, it melts by the time it hits your tongue and you got this little tiny... You know, watered-down grape juice. I mean, and everybody's sitting, facing forward, and somber, and what am I supposed to be doing right now? Right? Am I supposed to be sad? Everybody looks sad. You know what I'm saying? There's a difference, isn't there, between what we see in Acts. Well, what's the difference between Acts and today? Well, the cross has already happened. The resurrection has already happened. Eschologically speaking, that means fancy word for the big plan. We're in the same age. We should should have this, y'all. This should be our experience. This should be what it's like for Rock Creek Fellowship on Durham Road and on Lula Lake Road and Hinkle and West Brow and... and, um, Got the name of the town. Eh? <laughs> this town right over here where the, <laughs> the carnival is. Rising Fawn, thank you, yes. Huh. Well, let's go to 1 Corinthians. <laughs> let's go to 1 Corinthians. Go to first, this is our text, by the way, today. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. As you're turning there, and let me encourage you to please turn there. If you have a Bible, uh, if you don't have a Bible, sit next to somebody that does. Um, if you didn't bring a Bible... Um, there are some in a box back there, I noticed. I don't know who's giving those books away, but God bless them. There are Bibles. You're pointing somewhere. 
Oh, on the screen. Oh, how could, y'all are high tech now. I've, no kidding, this, y'all have changed a lot in the days. You got microphones and uh, you still don't have air conditioning. But um, so chapter 11, as you, as you can see there, there's a text. Uh, how cool is that? First Corinthians chapter 11. You can see here that what we have is this idea of, um, of, a, of a pastor, a church planner, and he's working with a church he's already planted. He's, he's gotten some reports back that things aren't really going that well. Um, there's a dude in the church who's sleeping with his dad's wife. And the leadership of the church really don't see that as a problem. They're open-minded, quote, finger quotes. There's there's stuff going on in worship, y'all, that just isn't right. Uh, The male-female relationships aren't what they're designed to be. And and there's... There seems to be an infiltration of idolatry and, and other really, really bad stuff that would have you on the floor presbytery like that. I mean, it's, it's not good. And so Paul really, in my understanding, my grasp of this letter is he's, he's writing to correct them. So it's kind of topical, but it seems to me everything stems out of chapter 1, verse 10, where he describes, look, there's divisions in the church. You're not being one body. And this is not good. And so he begins to address these different things, and you can almost make a connection between every topic and this one. And Lord willing, I'll be able to show you that in just a minute in chapter 11. So if we look at chapter 11, and uh, that's verse what, 21? Uh, let's start with 17, and then, you'll, and then we'll catch up to 21. Okay, so uh, and, and look, well, let me just show you real quick. Um, verse 2 He says, I praise you for remembering me and everything and for holding to the teachings just as I pass them on to you. Okay, so he he tells them, look, you did the right thing, and uh, and so I praise you for it. But when we get to verse 17, it changes. He says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you. Uh, For your meetings do more harm than good. Okay, so here comes the, the correction, the realignment uh, in 1 Corinthians 11. uh, Now I'll begin in verse uh, 18. In the first place, he says, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions. There are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt, there have to be differences among you to show which of you has God approval. I'm not sure if that's ironic or sarcastic. It's a strange sentence. But he goes on to say in verse 20, When you come together, it is not the Lord's supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat in and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God? Listen to this. Do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? For this, and his answer is, certainly not. And then comes some some very familiar words we hear oftentimes when we take the Lord's Supper. Verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Here's why, verse 26. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So verse 27, he's going to throw in a word called therefore. When you see the word therefore, you want to ask, what's it there for? Therefore is a term of conclusion. He's now going to, to bring some application to what he has just said. So this is the, this is the go do it part of the passage. And so he says in verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. If he didn't have your attention before, he should have it now. If you don't do this right, you are sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Pretty strong words, would you not agree? Pretty powerful. So he says in verse 28, a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. Okay, quite the opposite of what you were expecting. You, you think when I partake of this supper, I'm getting blessing. I'm getting, you know, fed spiritually. It's a good thing, but he says if you do it the wrong way, it's not only ineffective, it's counter-effective. It, it will bring judgment upon you. He tells us a little bit about this judgment. That is, verse 30, that is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. He's not talking about what some of you are trying to fight back right now. Uh, losing conscious, consciousness. He's talking about dying. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we're judged by the Lord, we're being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together, so then it's like a therefore, right? It's a, it's a conclusion. So then... When you come together to eat, and to eat the Lord's Supper implied here, here's the instruction. Wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give you further directions. All right, what's the problem? What's the issue that he is going to try to correct here with their mis- use of the Lord's Supper. What is the, what is the big problem? Let me ask you, is it, is it the elements? Is he saying, look, you've switched to crackers. Stay with the bread. You've gone to little tiny plastic cups and, and filled with watered-down grape juice. Stick with the wine. Is that what he's talking about? No. Maybe he's talking about the words of institution and, and the fencing of the table and the, the correct pronunciation of, of communion. <laughs> Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, the sacraments. No, that's, that's not at all what he's talking about, is it? Nor is he talking about who can partake and who can't partake and when you can partake and the frequency. Is it monthly? Is it daily? Is it? No, none of that's in here. The problem is really found there in verse 18. Look again at verse 18. In the first place, Here's my report. I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. What are these divisions? Well, in chapter 1, verse 10, the divisions are really clear. 
they seem to be kind of theological camps. Hey, I'm with Cephas. Peter. I'm a Peter man. That's my guy. Yeah, well, I'm with Apollos. You ever heard Apollos speak? The guy's got a golden tongue. He's awesome. Yeah, well, I'm with Paul. And then, and then the guys, of course, trump everybody. Well, I'm with Jesus. You know, argue with that. Right? The whole idea is this, is they're dividing around camps and, and, and dividing. And, and by the way, those guys don't have different camps. I think they're all the same theology. But there, there seems to be this division. You know, you got R.C. Sproul fans and you got Mark Driscoll fans. They don't seem to hang out too much together. Okay, maybe John MacArthur and Mark Driscoll. They don't seem to like each other. I mean, uh, you know, that's not what he's talking about. The divisions here we see from the context. Look again at verse uh, 22. Uh, Verse 21, sorry. He says, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody. One remains what? Hungry. And another gets what? Drunk. Okay, so one's not getting any and one's getting too much. Well, how would you you divide those two? Uh, He says in verse 22, don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God? despise your brothers and sisters. Do you despise a church of God? Well, what does that look like? Humiliating those who what? What does the text say? Those who have nothing. What division is he referring to here? Is it a theological division? Mm-mm. It seems to be a division of economics. It seems to be those who have a lot and those who don't have any There seems to be a division among them. And it seems to me, as I look at the text, it seems to me that there are those who aren't necessarily having to work all day long. And so they're there at the place of fellowship and they're consuming all the stuff that's supposed to be for everybody. In the meantime, the the blue collar or blue uh, tunic uh, guy is busting it, trying to put bread on the table. He gets to the time of fellowship with the people only to find out everybody's drunk and full and there's nothing left. And Paul says, this is bad. This is wrong. The problem, it seems to be that the divisions uh, are causing them to not be what they're supposed to be. So what would the purpose then be? Well, anytime we want to study a letter or a passage of text, it's always, always crucial that we study in its context. You know what I mean? The passage before and the passage after. If you're studying a verse... Study the paragraph before and the paragraph after. Studying a chapter, a chapter before, a chapter after, or a book, or, or anything. You always need to take a, a step back and get a, get a running head start at this. Hey, what is he talking about? So let's do that. Let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 11 and 12. Now, I'm not going to read the whole thing, uh, but look at 10. Let me just start us off. Verse 1, he says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud, and that... Whoa. In that big old wasp. Sorry. I hate wasp. Uh, they, uh, where was that? Uh, they were all... Okay, so let me start over. For I, do, for I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And here comes the big New Testament revelation. And that rock was who? Christ. Okay, did you notice the word all and the word same there? 
This idea is that they all were baptized in the same thing. They all were participating in. They, the music guys are going to be really mad. They all were. Uh, uh, they all were um, participating. You know what it's like. You ever been to a symphony? You ever gone, you've been early to a symphony, right? What are they doing? Everybody shows up, and uh, what do they do? Well, they, they have to tune their instruments. I don't recommend coming to that part of the symphony. <laughs> you know, when everybody's playing something different, it sounds horrible. You're sitting there going, oh, my gosh, I just wasted 50 bucks and two hours. This is going to be just horrible. Until this guy shows up a little stick, the conductor, he taps it, he points at the first chair violin, tells her or him to play something. I don't know what it is. And they play one solid note, and then something miraculous happens. Everybody, all these different instruments, hit that same note at the same time. It's beautiful. And then what ensues at the leadership of the conductor, everybody focused on the conductor, all those different instruments make beautiful, gorgeous music. You know, sometimes we Christians think we're supposed to be alike. Uh, you know, some of us are supposed to look like Dave Warland, while others look like Charlie Tucker. I mean, they just don't, you know, they just don't have the same fit, right? Well, should I be more Dave or should I be more Charlie? Of course, we all want to be more like Charlie, let's admit it, but I can't, I can't do the ponytail thing anymore. But the idea here is, is, is that we often think we're supposed to somehow conform and, and look alike and talk alike and have the right same verbiage, and we all, you know, that's called a cult, by the way. The, the, the Christian life, he says, he says here, they were all in the same, but they were put into one. Look, drop over in chapter 10 to verse, um, verse 14. He says, Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving... He's now talking about the same thing we're talking about this morning. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks for a participation... In the blood of Christ. That's a rich phrase. The cup is a participation in the blood of Christ. It is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ. Here's his conclusion, verse 17. Because there is one loaf. How many loaves? One loaf. We who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one loaf. What makes us one body? Our conformity to each other or to some standard? No. What makes us one, what makes Dave and Charlie brothers, is not that they try to be alike, but because they partake in the same loaf of bread. And the same loaf of bread, in verse 16, is clearly described as partaking in the body of and the blood of Jesus Christ. Some more context. Jump, let's leapfrog over chapter 11, since that's our text. Let's go to chapter 12. If you marked, if you simply just circled the word body in this text, you'd see there's a ton of things about the body. Verse 12, the body is a unit. Though it's made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. In the next, I don't know, dozen or so verses, bodies mentioned a ton of times over and over again to describe differences but unity. Different gifts, different abilities, but unity. You, we need each other. This independent Christian mindset, I got it figured out, 
I'll work it out of my closet. I'm okay. I don't need you. Stinks. It's bad. It's wrong. It's stupid. It doesn't work. It's not the design. We need each other. Desperately. He designed it that way. To be dependent upon each other. You might think, I've got it figured out. That's probably going to be where you trip up. You might be, you know, I'm a really kind, sweet person. That's probably going to be your, your biggest flaw, your biggest error. Whatever you think you've got figured out, I'm here to tell you, you need me, you need Charlie, you need Dave, you need each other. We need each other. And so he, he goes to this description. Look what he says in verse uh, 24. He says, uh, while our present, uh, sorry, our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it. Why? So that, here's his reason, so that there should be no division in the body. He's made us need each other and dependent upon each other so that there be no division. So nobody thinks, I don't need you. I've got it taken care of. Um, go away. Uh, oh, gosh, that's a dirt dog. It'll sting, right? I told my daughter that one time, and, and I got stung on the lip right in front of her. Don't bother them. They won't bother you. That didn't work. Okay, so uh, um, that's the devil. Get out of here. Okay, should be no division in the body, but that its parts, oh, here it is, end of verse 25, that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And look at this bold statement in verse 27. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. The context seems to imply in chapters 10 and 11 and 12 that this concept of body, although it does refer to the, to the actual body of our Lord and Savior who was pinned to a tree and gave his blood for your sake and your righteousness, there also seems to be another sub-theme passing through here that talks about this body. Brothers and sisters needing each other. And so the problem is when you get together, you're not waiting for one another and you're dividing perhaps over, over financial ramifications and the poor are being humiliated and left out. And he says, stop it. Wait for each other. You're the body of Christ. So this purpose then also, uh, it has a covenantal perspective. What do I mean by that? Well, um, See if I can visualize it for you. Okay, you know the Lord's Supper in Luke 22, we're told, is actually the Passover meal. The Passover meal we find out in Exodus chapter 12 when it's, it's an incredible, incredible rescue moment for God's people. In fact, God says in Exodus 12, this is so significant, I'm restarting the calendar. Your whole calendar now begins with this day. I mean, it's like, it'd, be like, it'd be like Benjamin Franklin going, look, no more January 1st. It's July 4th, brother. That's the beginning of this year. This is, this is the day. So the whole calendar's realigned. And so he says, here's, what it, here's the deal. In Exodus 12, he says, I want you to bring in a lamb or a goat. I want it in the house for seven days. 
And on the seventh day, I want you to slaughter it. I want you to take the blood of this lamb or this goat, and I want you to paint your doorposts, the top and the sides. And then I want you to eat this lamb or this goat, and here's how I want you to do it. I want you to take your robe, your tunic, they didn't wear pants back then, and I want you to pull it up between your legs and stick it in your belt, and I want a staff in one hand. Here's why. You're about to leave. He literally says, eat in haste. So this is not some contemplative, casual remembrance meal. This is something because something big is about to happen. And you know what happens. God sends the angel of death over the entire land of Egypt, the most powerful nation on earth, and he kills supernaturally every firstborn of any house that's not covered with the blood. The blood and the participation in that blood brought a rescue. That's really cool. Wasn't based upon your theology, wasn't based upon your, your, your obedi- obedience chart, your gold stars on your shirt, no, 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 it or your heritage. It was if you simply had blood on the door, God rescued you. And you know what happened? Pharaoh and all the guys said, get out of here. We're all going to die. Get out of here. And, and not only that, but he, he, he moved in the hearts of the Egyptian to cough up the gold and silver. And they took the gold and silver. The Bible says they plundered the Egyptians. I love that. Slaves of plundering the powerful. And, of course, if you follow that, that treasure through, you find out later in Chronicles that it's being used to build a house of worship for God. The stuff they stole from the Egyptians. That's, that's the Passover. So the Passover basically is something to happen every year that, that points this way. This would be the past to my left. So the point to the past. But when we get to Luke 22 and we read the, the, the words there, he says this to the guys. Look, I'm about to go to the cross. And I'm not going to drink again of this vine, talking of the cup, until. Anybody know how it finishes? Until the kingdom of God comes. So, not only now, and it's supposed to be remembered, not only is the Passover changed from just pointing to the past, now the Passover points to the past and points to the future. But there's another meal coming, y'all. Don't forget, we're on a time schedule. Don't forget, we're moving. We're, we're not waiting. We're not drifting. We are on an eschological clock that is taking us somewhere amazing the end of times, the end of days. Revelation chapter 19 tells us there's another feast that's going to, in essence going to replace this feast, and it's the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I'm pretty sure at the marriage supper of the Lamb, there's no more of this. There's no more pointing back. Everything is future. So we have these perspectives, don't we? And so if we're going to partake of this supper well we must know first of all some of the purpose has to do with us being one body it has to has to do with us thinking and loving and and caring for one another it's not just about me and my personal little private communion there's got to be us involved in it but it also comes with a perspective when i was a kid i grew up at first pres down here biggest uh uh in uh I remember as a kid, 
Um, I got this mom who's a famous Bible teacher. So I'm sitting next to this famous Bible teacher. And, of course, I'm a little kid, and I'm watching her to see what she does. She's got her big, huge, back then it was a King James, big, huge black Bible out. And she's marking it all up during communion. So I pull out my little Bible, and I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just doing what she does. I'm just marking, circling, drawing lines in my Bible, you know. And I can't read, I don't think. I'm watching my dad. My dad seems to be talking to God. He seems very serious. And so I, I'm marking my Bible, watching mom, and I'm looking at dad. And I'm trying to get this serious face on, you know. My dad grew up a fundamentalist uh, Baptist, and so he's really just, you know. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out what is, what do I do here with this communion? Do you, do you ever feel like that? What, what are we doing? Well, he tells us, he tells us that, first of all, you need, to, you need to recognize, you need to examine, you need to judge, you need to, to do this in a worthy manner. That, that seems to insinuate you don't do this however you want to. Right? It seems to say there are some guidelines, there, are, there is a procedure involved here. I had a buddy I, I served the mission field with, and he was from California, and uh, pizza and beer was his communion every time he had pizza and beer. And I remember going, there's just something not right about this. It feels a little too common. Um, my family, we, we do birthday dinners. Y'all do birthday dinners? A couple years ago, my wife said, I'm tired of cooking <laughs> birthday dinners. So let's go out. And it was great. We started off at Mr. T's. You know, you can feed, I have three daughters. You can feed them all 25 bucks, ice cream included. But they turned into teenagers, and Mr. T's just wasn't as special enough. And so P.F. Chang's showed up, and J. Alexander showed up. I'm talking 150 buckaroos going out the door. I mean, it was, you know. But in these meals, it was always interesting. In these meals, the girls love to hear stories of when they were little. They love it. The same doggone stories. And we got tons of them. And so part of our celebration was to, to look back, to think about life and remember their birth and their little crazy childhood and all this fun stuff. But then there's that, that present stuff. We also celebrated what they are today and how different and unique and cool they are and what they're passionate about. But there's also, we always finish our song with, and many more we have, a, we have a future in a perspective on our birthday celebrations. We want them around. There's a sense in here then, if we're going to do this well, and we're going to do it right now, if we're going to do this well, we need to look back, we need to remember what's going on, we need to look with anticipation of His coming back. Y'all, He's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back. And He's a rewarder. He's coming back with judgment, whether good deeds or bad. He's coming back, literally coming back. We look forward to that day. But we also jump ahead and look forward to the very future of celebrating the marriage supper where it's perfect, well and done. So some proper practices. Well, a couple of clues. If you look at the application part of 1 Corinthians 11... 27 through, I think, the end of the chapter, we could find them. You see things like examine yourself. That means do some inventory. 
don't compare yourself. <laughs> Oftentimes, that's how I examine myself. Well, I'm not as bad as him. <laughs> I'm a whole lot better than her. Gee whiz. No, no. Examine yourself. That means go in and evaluate. Take off all the lids. Let everything be exposed. Examine yourself before you eat of the cup, uh, drink of the cup and eat of the bread. Secondly, verse 29, recognize the body. And there again, I think there's a case we could say both the body of Jesus, the literal body, the, our, our atonement, our redemption, but also you and me. That we recognize each other. That we, that we uh, take each other into account. Verse 31, and judge ourselves. Get serious with this. Don't take it lightly. And then finally, which I think is ironic, he says, verse 33, So then, my brothers, uh, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. Okay, this is not manners. This is not uh, what Mama taught us. Look, you know, wait till she picks her fork up and then you can partake, right, when you're at a person's house. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying you need to make sure each person has enough. Each person is involved. Y'all, it sounds a lot like Acts chapter 2, doesn't it? They didn't see possessions as their own. They sold their possessions and gave to others as had need. Acts chapter 4 tells us there wasn't anybody with need after a while. Again, that seems to be what we could experience in Hinkle, in Rising Fawn, in, on Durham Road. Covenant College, the front of Lookout Mountain, anywhere. This seems to be a reachable potential standard, a reality for us. So here's what I want to do. I want to do what we just read. I want to invite up the elders. I want us to break bread. I want us to pray for each other. I want us to drink of the cup and and participate in the blood of Jesus Christ. But in order to do so, there's a couple of things we just learned. We need to start by examining ourselves. And that means, one, this table, this, we don't have a table, (laughs) this table, this bench, this, this ceremony is for anybody, anybody who absolutely, completely dependent upon the blood of Jesus Christ for their standing before God. Nothing else. Nothing else. I don't care if your dad is a PCA minister. That will get you a nice house in heaven, but... Just kidding. It doesn't matter what you've got, what you've done, how many books you've published, how many many, widows you've fed. I, I don't care. If only, only the reason why you can stand before the almighty, wrathful God of heaven and earth is because His blood of His Son covers you, then you're welcome to this table. If you're a child and, and you've not yet been admitted to this table because, because it's just not time yet, you don't quite comprehend, let me encourage you, kids. Ask mom and dad. Talk to me about this. I want to know more. And mom and dads, don't be scared. Tell them what you know. Take them to the Word. Share with them why this is so important. And if you're a believer, you do trust in Jesus. 
You do believe in the blood of Christ as your righteousness alone, but you have a sin you won't let go. You refuse to let go, whether it be a bitterness against another. I'm not going to forgive them. They don't deserve it. They will not get my forgiveness. If that's true of you, do not, do not take of the bread, of the bread and, the, and the wine. Why? It's an affront to the death of Jesus Christ. If there's a sin in your life, whether it be a substance you won't quit abusing, whether it be a lust you won't give up, or whether it be a hatred or anything, a greed, if there's anything in your life that you refuse to lay down at the cross, at the feet of Jesus, this is not for you. Brothers and sisters, I beg of you to ask for forgiveness. And I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to do that. So let's do that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's do business with him. Let's examine ourselves. So let me just, let me just pray for us.